Uh, it's been a real joy uh, going through Ephesians as a church. And you, Luke and uh, any of the other kids, you guys can go down to uh, Kids Club now. Uh, it's an honor to be here today to uh, preach God's Word. Uh, my name is Russell. I'm one of the fellow elders along with uh, John Snyder and Nick Dimmick. I'm extremely excited about today's passage. And one of the reasons that is exciting for me is all the connections uh, that I've been able to make with the last sermon that I was able to And uh, as a believer, I hope that you're also a reader, and uh, it's exciting to me how God shows us all these connections through his word uh, as his plan for us. But as just human beings, we're not smart enough to understand the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom that God gives us, uh, as we'll see today in the passage. So let's pray, and then we'll begin. Father, I thank you for uh, each person here today. I thank you for your, your word and how it equips us, it corrects us, it teaches us. Lord, would you uh, open our hearts this morning to hear uh, what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 3, and would you use it to transform us uh, by your power. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I'm at a pretty big disadvantage today, and the reason is uh, Nick loaded me up with commentaries, just tons of information. I've been watching um, some of my favorite pastors, John MacArthur, Alistair Begg, John Piper, and generally in these 13 verses, they spend like 8 to 13 weeks as a church going through this passage. So today we get like 45 minutes, so we better get started. Um, To help you out, um, if you have your bulletin with you, I got kind of a road map for you um, that we're going to follow through. Um, We're going to do it in kind of two chunks today. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to go through verses 7 through 13. In the first verse, we'll learn that um, as Paul is uh, for the first time telling us that he's in prison, uh, we're going to learn about that and why and how that's part of God's plan. And then at the the end, in chunk number 2, we're going to kind of transfer from the content of the mystery, uh, the mystery of the gospel that Paul is going to introduce to us today, And we're going to learn the ministry of the mystery in verses 7 through 13. So we're going to learn that the ministry was to the uh, Gentiles so that God's manifold wisdom would be known through the church so that God's eternal purpose will be known in its uh, eternal plan. So a little bullet line for you to follow along. Sounds like a lot, uh, but we'll uh, we'll get through it together uh, as a church here this morning. So if you got your Bibles... Um, If you want to use one of the church Bibles, it's on page 977, and uh, we'll start in here, Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13. So Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Now, as we dive in here as good, good stewards of God's word and, and reading, uh, reading uh, we've talked about the phrase, therefore, and, and help me out here, when the, phrase is, when the word therefore is there, we have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Yeah. So when you see, for this reason, we have to reason with ourselves, why is this phrase there? So Paul gives us a little hint at this right away in verse 3 where he says, the mystery he has written about briefly. Um, so he's referencing back to Ephesians uh, 1, 9 through 10 here. So uh, I'll ask you to follow along today. Uh, most of the uh, passages I'm going to put on the screen, uh, some of them because my, my study Bible that I use is an NLT, will be in the NLT version, so it might be a little different if you're following along in the Pew Bible. 
um, but uh, we'll put these up. And uh, I've kind of highlighted kind of some main thoughts because there's no way we could read everything today. But as Paul references briefly back to Ephesians 1, 9, and 10 to describe the mystery, we see that the mystery is the will of God, and this mystery was to unite all things in him. So Paul's referencing back to this in this first sentence here. And he also made a reference back in Ephesians 2. Um, in Ephesians 2, 14, he describes a little deeper the mystery. He says that there were dividing walls of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. But God would make one new man out of the place of two. So God would take these Jews and Gentiles, enemies against each other, and put them together as one. And he goes on to say that this new family, this new body, the church, will be known as fellow citizens and saints. Uh, no longer strangers. That they would be members of the household of God. And they would be built on, this new church body would be built on the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. As Nick demonstrated that analogy in the building uh, last week. And this is all done by the Spirit. So Paul picks up and he's building us up in the, uh, this idea of the mystery earlier in these earlier verses. And in the passage today, we'll come to verse 6, which is a real simple definition to help us understand what this mystery is. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, as we start off here in this passage, we're not even through verse 1 yet, but we see that Paul kind of makes this break. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on your behalf of you Gentiles. And then he gets to, uh, in verse 13, if you're in your Bible, he kind of, he, he does these other verses that we're going to look at, and then he ends with, well, don't lose heart because of my suffering for while I'm in prison, but, uh, so now we're, we're, we got like, Paul, why are you breaking the sentence here? And uh, it's, it's, it's good for us to ask that question. So verses 2 through 12 will tell us why Paul is in prison. But I thought it would be helpful this morning to, for us to not ask why, but how Paul got in prison. And this is, uh, this is one of the exciting things for me, one of the exciting connections. So I actually got some prizes for somebody out there this week. Uh, my last sermon that I preached was Acts 11, so no cheating here. But there was this, uh, this man named Agabus. Oh, I just gave his name. Does anybody remember the man's name? His name was Agabus. I gave it away. I guess I'll give these to you, honey. All right, so if we, uh, if we remember back in Acts 11, uh, there was this man named Agabus, and he stood up and by the Spirit predicted a famine. Well, at the end of uh, uh, Acts 11, uh, we see the man named Agus there. He predicts the famine. Um, the, the story in Acts 11 was just the retelling of Acts 10, which is, if you remember, it was the mystery revealed to Peter. As Paul used this, uh, God used this vision and this dream of the Gentiles now coming into the family to Peter. Paul was retelling that story in Acts 11. And as this uh, new body, this new church, these Gentile believers were together, they heard of this famine they decided that, hey, it would be a good idea to take an offering or a gift and send it to our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Jewish church in Jerusalem. So we see here that Paul, um, he's going to be the one to take the gift. So if we look at Romans 15 in the Bible, it kind of plays out here. We'll have this up on the screen for you. Uh, Paul is discussing with his new believers, and he decides that I will take a gift, and I will go to Jerusalem. And then verse 31, we kind of get a twist in this whole idea, like giving a gift's a good thing, right? But Paul, Paul prays in Romans 31 that he will be rescued 
as he's taken this gift and he prays that they'll be willing to accept the donation. So I don't know if you've ever had to pray that, man, I hope I'll accept this gift. It's kind of weird, right? What's, what's going on here? Well, this is what the mystery is going to teach us today, that there was still some hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And we're going to see that played out in the life of Paul uh, as this hard process comes to life. So Paul decides, I'm going to take this gift, and he's, and he's going to take it to the church in Jerusalem. Now here's our man Agabus again. This is kind of a cool connection. Agabus says, hey, there's going to be a famine. Well, here in Acts 21.10, Agabus is going to have another prophecy for Paul. Now, i got to warn you, if you start reading through Acts 21, it is so good, it's hard to put it down. You almost have to go all the way through the end to Acts 28. So I'm just going to try to briefly pick up some, some ideas to help us understand how Paul got into prison. So it starts with this good idea. We're going to take this gift to the church in Jerusalem. There's a famine. They're hungry. So Paul goes, and Agabus meets with Paul. And Agabus says, hey, I have this prophecy, Paul. He took Paul's belt. He put it around his feet, and he said, the owner of this belt will be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Same as saying, you're going to be put in prison, Paul. Well, Paul takes this warning, but he is going to stick to God's plan, as we'll learn about Paul. And he goes on to Jerusalem. Now, when Paul gets to Jerusalem, there's going to be a whole list of accusations already against Paul when he gets there. He's walking into this hostile environment. In Acts 21, 21, we're going to get this kind of list of things against Paul. So follow me through this list of accusations. They're going to say that he is teaching the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the law of Moses. He's, he's being accused of teaching them not to circumcise. He's being accused of teaching them not to follow other Jewish customs. So Paul gets to the uh, uh, town of Jerusalem, but before he goes to the church, um, he meets with the church leaders. And uh, we'll see this in Acts twenty-one twenty-four, kind of a plan. Uh, but Paul's talking to the leaders, and they're saying, all right, we're going to take this, this gift, and we're going to come up with this plan. Even though there's hostility, we're still going to try to build up the body in Jerusalem. So this, this is the plan. Take four, these four men with you that are already started this very religious vow um, that you've been accused of not supporting Paul. He says, take these four men. Uh, he says, to pay for them and to join in them this purification ceremony, to have your heads ritually shaved, and then this plan will let everybody know that the rumors are false. So Paul says, all right, we go. And Paul goes, and he does this plan. But after seven days of being in Jerusalem, the mob can't stand it. Here's this man that is bringing the Gentiles into the family of God, and they can't stand it. So we see what happens in Acts 21, 28, and 29. This is the man, they claim, that preaches against our people. This is the man that disobeys the Jewish laws. This is the man that's bringing Gentiles into the temple. And from there on, the people yelled in, in, 20, uh, in verse 30, Nick. The men yelled, the, and the city was in a riot. The city was rocked as Paul is being accused of these false things, and they're coming against him. And Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple. Wow, what a, what a reception for Paul. Sounds like the plan kind of backfired. Well, what happens? The city is in a riot. Uh, Paul is grabbed and dragged. He's nearly killed. But the Roman soldiers, the guards, they actually save his life. And as part of God's plan, in this moment, 
Paul gets a chance to speak to these people who are hostile against him. The crowds, the Bible describes, were dead quiet. So Paul turns around as the Roman guards are protecting him, and he gives his testimony. And if you guys are familiar with the Bible, maybe you've heard of Paul. He's saying, I was against God. I was on the road to Damascus to put believers in prison. I was going to bring them back in chains. And then a bright, shining light. And the Lord calls out to Saul. And, and you kind of know the rest of the story. So Paul is telling this to the uh, Jewish people here. And they're listening intently until we get to verse 22 and 21. Where Paul told the, the people as he's telling them his story. He said, But the Lord said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd was listening to Paul until this word, the word Gentiles, and they all began to shout, Away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. Basically, they said, Kill this man. So Paul's in a little predicament here. But Paul Paul knows that he was called to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And he knows that they are welcome into the family of God, just like you and I. Paul knows the mystery that the church has been to and now it's brought in together as one. And Paul sticks to the plan. But here in verse 22, this accurately describes the hostility from the non-believing Jews to the gospel and to the new body, the church, the mystery that has now been revealed. The Jewish people, you see, they had been God's chosen people all along. And this idea, as Nick preached last week, that the Gentiles are now coming into the family, made them extremely angry. Now, Paul gets put into prison because of these false accusations. But as you read through the end of Acts, by God's grace, floods of people come to Paul as he's in prison, and he shares the gospel, and tons of people come to know Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and they are reconciled into the family of God. So now Paul is explaining this here as he starts off in verse 2. We know now how Paul was put in prison. Let's check out the why he was put in prison. Back to verse 2 in Ephesians. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Uh, My family, I don't know why, but we like this word stewardship. And uh, I wanted to kind of give you this idea of stewardship and being a steward of God's stewardship, as we see in Paul's life here. There's a great example in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, uh, 1 through 2, where Paul is explaining, uh, one of his fellow ministers, um, he says, So him and Apollos, as servants of Christ, have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. So this idea of stewardship is kind of as we see here is a, as a manager of a plan. And Paul calls a biblical steward to be faithful. So we see here that this stewardship of God, it's God's master plan, but it's by his grace that it was given to Paul. Paul is becoming the steward of God's plan. Now as Paul would have been telling his testimony to those hostile Jews who were shouting, kill him, he, would have, he, he says this to him in Acts 26. Uh, one more reference to Acts here. As Paul's telling them his testimony, he tells them that God promised to rescue me from you and the Gentiles. And God did send me to the Gentiles. And God has given a place among God's people for the Gentiles. Now as Paul's in front of this hostile crowd, you can imagine he's almost ready to flee for his life. But Paul didn't flee. 
Paul was faithful and stuck to the plan that God called him to. And as Paul starts out in this section here, he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. Notice that Paul doesn't say, I'm in prison for Caesar and Nero, the emperors and the leaders of the Roman area. Paul says, I am a prisoner of Christ. He's a steward of the grace that God has given him, and he's sticking to the plan. Now Paul's going to go on in verse 3 to tell us this plan, this mystery that was made known to him. So verse 3 here, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Do we have any uh, readers out there? Does anybody out there like to read mystery novels? Anybody a big mystery novel reader? Nancy's raising her hand. Yeah. This word mystery, it'll help us understand it better. This isn't like mystery of like when my son's playing Nintendo and he sees the little box with the question mark on it and he says, ooh, it's a mystery box. Like we could figure out what the mystery is. This word mystery is something that only God can reveal. So as Paul tells us here in verse 3, that it isn't like a mystery novel where we can read and put the facts together and figure it out. This mystery is different. This is a mystery that was hidden and has now been revealed. And who reveals it to Paul? God reveals it to Paul. Only God can give the wisdom. All right, let's move on to verse 4 and 5. When you read this, Paul says, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Well, where does Paul get his insight from? Uh, Paul tells us in Galatians, as he's writing to the Galatian believers, he, he explains the insight. He says that, I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So this this mystery and the content of the mystery, Paul has received from Jesus Christ. It was revealed to him. We see here that what was once concealed or hidden is now revealed. And in verse 4 and 5, we see who was it revealed to? Well, it says to the holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This that used to be hidden has now been revealed. Nick last week uh, taught us uh, in Ephesians 2, and in Ephesians 2.20 we see this same phrase, the apostles and the prophets. So just as this new body of Jews and Gentiles together were built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus as the cornerstone, the Spirit is helping build the church, and the Spirit is also helping reveal God's plan, the mystery. All right. Now we are to verse 6. Paul goes on to tell us, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise that in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You know, it's as we see how Paul got in prison in the hostility against the good news, it's, it's cool to see these three things that there were those who heard and believed the gospel and were brought into the family. Um, we've got kind of three main points in this verse 6. And uh, as, as Paul told us in the beginning of Ephesians, that there was a, an inheritance to be had. Um, and Paul says here that the Gentiles, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles are now fellow heirs. If you're an heir, that means you have an inheritance to collect. And if you're in uh, Ephesians in your Bible, uh, you can look back to verse 1 with me here. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 13, where he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, were sealed. 
he is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So we see here that through the gospel, the Gentile believers are fellow heirs of the inheritance. We see in uh, uh, this statement of the members of the same body, uh, Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians, he loves to use the body as an analogy of um, you can't have just an eye. You gotta have an eye and a hand and the nose and the feet to make the body work. And Paul tells the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen that they have been baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We're all given the one spirit. So the Gentiles are very much included into this one body. It's no longer separate. They are together. There's one more area of promise that Paul reminds the Ephesian readers here, that they're also partakers of the promise. Now, as we, uh, as we went through the Genesis series uh, a few years ago, um, we hit on this. Um, also in the Galatians series. So in this uh, Galatians verse, uh, before we read these, we're going to see that this mystery, uh, even though it was hidden in the Old Testament, that this mystery was mentioned in the Old Testament. So here's, here's just one example of many of that. We see Paul in Galatians 3.8, um, as he's writing, he, uh, he mentions that all nations uh, will be blessed. Uh, there in verse 3, uh, uh, 8, Nick, if you could put that one up there. In Galatians 3.8, Paul says that God would justify the Gentiles. They would be brought into the family and that all nations would be blessed. And this is just a, a replaying of a similar passage in Genesis in the Old Testament where God promised that all the families of the earth would have the opportunity to be blessed. It was hidden, but it was mentioned in the Old Testament. So verse, in, verse 6 ends that telling us these three, these three things, these three pieces of content of the mystery were brought to these people through the gospel. And that's, a, that's an exciting thing to understand that all the ways the gospel works in the life of those who God is called. And Paul, uh, one of my favorite places where he describes the gospel is in 1 Corinthians. Um, he starts out uh, in chapter 15. He says, let me remind you um, so church, let me remind you of the gospel today. Uh, Paul had said that Christ had died for their sins in accordance to the scriptures. In other words, according to God's plan. He said that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, again, according to the scriptures, according to God's plan. Now as Paul is writing the book of Ephesians that we're in today, he started his letter off the same way to the Ephesians. He reminds us that the Ephesian believers were brought into the family of God the same way as these Corinthian believers, the same way as you and I are brought into the family of God, that Christ died on our behalf, and by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Now remember that Paul taught this message everywhere he went, not just to the Gentiles, but also to the Jews uh, as Paul, through the book of Acts, his, his kind of common thing was as he would come into a new place, he would go to the synagogue first and preach this message, this mystery to the Jews. Now, some we know heard and believed, but some heard and thought that this was just a, just a big, big joke, that this was foolish, that this was folly as some translations um, describe it. 
But Paul, being a good steward of God's master plan, God's stewardship, he continued to preach the good news. God would tell us Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1 that it was God's wisdom that he chose to preach to save. That there would be those like the Jews who thought it was foolish. That there would be those who have the Gentiles who thought it was foolish. But they were only seeking human wisdom. But praise the Lord, those who were called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, this one new body, the church, it's Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God that brings them to salvation. And Paul's saying all that before he explains how God is working through his imprisonment. So that kind of wraps up our, uh, our first chunk there. And um, we're going to transition from the content of the mystery to the ministry of the ministry. It's kind of fun to say. Do you guys want to say that with me? The content of the mystery to the ministry of the mystery? I like, I like a play on words like that. And uh, we're going to take just a little break here. Uh, I want to show you a little movie clip that comes to mind when I think of a play on words. I, ho- I hope you enjoy this. I hereby dub thee Sir Tomato. Sir, you just call me Mater, Your Majesty. I don't want to hear none of this, sir, business. By the way, have y'all met each other? Queen, McQueen, McQueen, Queen, McQueen, McMissile, McMissile, McQueen, Queen, McMissile. <laughs> Not almost as good as the content of the ministry to the mystery of the ministry, but uh, pretty close there. So I, I wanted to uh, do something special this week for the message. We've, uh, we've taken the content of the mystery that we just just read about and we've put together a little song and uh you might not know this maybe i should have asked scott if it was okay that his kids rap in church but noah and hannah have a really special talent so uh guys take it away all right concealed now revealed so we're not in left field once was falling but now i am answering my calling dead as the plane was hidden but i'm now alive and living with god's great mercy all of my sins are forgiven his wisdom is divine as the world is his design we are members of the church you could say we are combined no longer held by man my salvation is defined fully trusting in your plan the mystery intertwined the church is now together every nation tongue and tribe bringing many sons of glory praise the lord he is alive Woo! All right, give him a hand. Thank you. Thanks, Noah. Thanks, Hannah. Yeah, so now we will transition from the content of the mystery to the ministry of the mystery. Um, We'll look at uh, verse 7 here. Paul goes on to say, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. We see here that Paul's call to ministry was not of his own power, but he was empowered by God, not by his own strength or abilities. And Paul does a good job telling us this in uh, 1 Timothy. Um, As he's writing a a letter to Timothy, he says this. um, He says, It's Christ Jesus our Lord who gives me the strength to do this work that I'm called to. He says, Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, even though I persecuted the people of God, but oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was to me. The same grace is offered to you and I. And as we see, as we move along to verse 8, we'll see more about this grace. 
To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now we could spend weeks on this phrase, the unsearchable riches of Christ, but with the time that we have, I wanted to select this word, riches. If you, if you look at this uh, word riches, um, I would define it as riches are our desired resources. For you, it, it could be money, it could be gold or silver. If you're living in the desert, it could be water. But Paul uses this word riches to show us our deepest need, our deepest desire. And he says that our deepest desires are of Christ. Basically, Paul is saying that our deepest desires, our deepest satisfaction is only satisfied in Christ. If we are satisfied in Christ, we will never reach the end of our satisfaction. It is inexhaustible. Now, Paul becomes the steward of God's stewardship, his master plan, and he's called here to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And moving on to verse 9, he's called to one other task. In verse 9, he's called to bring the light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. As we kind of see this, Paul building on this idea of him being called, him being called to preach the un, to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And here he's also to bring to light the mystery that has been hidden with God. Now, why is Paul to do these two things? Well, again, he builds to verse 10. I'm going to do these two things, preach the unsearchable riches and bring to light of the mystery so that, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's really cool how God puts the emphasis on his wisdom being made known through the church, through us as believers in Christ. Now this term manifold wisdom of God is another one that we could spend weeks discussing. The word manifold in the Bible just means of many colors or many variances. So Paul is trying to describe for us the infinite wisdom that God has. It's, um, it's weird though to me that God wants the church to make his wisdom known not to fellow believers in the church, but he wants to make it known to who? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is similar to our memory verse in uh, verse 2 where we say the prince of the power of the air. This is one of my favorite things of learning as preparing this sermon for you guys that these rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places, the commentaries were all over the place on this. But, but it kind of comes back to this. These could have been good angels. These could have been bad angels. These could have been demons. These could have been holy or unholy. I mean, we know that even if a fallen angel has no capacity to worship God, that they could still witness the glory of God. They could still witness the salvation of those who he called. So if Paul means in this passage that uh, the bad angels, this is how the manifold wisdom of God would be known to them. Since the beginning of the church, the bad angels, the demons, would have witnessed the transforming power of Christ. They would have witnessed the death on the cross, the resurrection, the church starting to grow. 
And as God promised in his word that one day all evil would be destroyed, the bad angels see this coming to play, coming to tuition, that God's plan, the mystery is slowly, progressively being revealed and they would see that their days are numbered, that God is true, God is faithful and they will be destroyed. That would be the bad angels. It's interesting, isn't it, to think of the perspective of angels looking down on God's church. We know that there are also good angels in the heavenly places, good rulers and authorities. This could look like uh, what was described in 1 Peter um, verse, chapter 1, verse 12. This is referring to the prophets that had written to God's people years previous, and now these things were coming true. Um, it was revealed that they were seeing these things, and through the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look. Paul was describing the salvation of God's people, and we're told that the angels long to look to see this process happening. The angels love to see the manifold wisdom of God being displayed from lost people like Apostle Paul bringing his people to prison in chains to now sharing the gospel to this new group of people, the church. The angels look down in awe of this happening. There's an old hymn uh, from one of my favorite teachers, uh, Alistair Begg, and it helps us to wrap our minds around the angels longing to look as God brings out salvation from his master plan to the people in the church. And it goes like this. There is singing up in heaven such that we have never known the song of victory in the Lamb upon the throne. But when we sing about the redemption story, they will fold their wings for angels never will know the joy our salvation brings. As Paul is writing this and he's telling us that God wants his manifold wisdom to be known to the rulers and authorities in heaven, isn't it interesting that the angels look down and they long to see this plan working out? The prophets also would have looked forward to seeing what they spoke on behalf of God as it comes true. Like the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world 700 years before it happens. And now they're starting to see the master plan of God play out. The angels would have watched God's plan from the beginning. Abraham, really God? You're going to choose a pagan worshiper to lead your people? What about the story of Jacob and Esau? Esau was a strong, hairy, manly man. And God chose Jacob, a mama's boy, over him. What about Apostle Paul? He's who we would pick to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, right? He was throwing Christians in jail. Isn't it good to know that God doesn't consult us before he makes a decision? In fact, the decisions that we made are horrible. We decided to kill the only man who had never sinned on earth But God in his manifold wisdom turns man's greatest evil into good for us. As he displayed his love for us on the cross by giving the punishment we deserve to his one and only son, his manifold wisdom shines as he perfectly serves justice and love at the same time to us. That's just a glimpse of the manifold wisdom of God. Let's go on to verse uh, 11 here. 
Paul goes on, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We see here that this plan of God, this mystery, this stewardship that God has by grace given Paul this job, that this was an eternal plan, that this was from the very beginning as we see this mystery unfold. Sometimes we tend to think that Jesus was a plan B, but God knew that there would be sin in the garden. Satan did not wreck God's plan. God tells us back from our study in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, he speaks of this hostility that would be between those in Christ and those outside of Christ. In Genesis 3.15, it's the first glimpse of the gospel. God not only promises this hostility, Nick, there in uh, Genesis 3.15, God says that there will be hostility, but God promises that he will strike your head, referencing Satan the serpent. God says that I will be victorious. My plan is what it is and it will not change. Now we know in verse 12 here that we can be confident that Satan will be destroyed. We can be confident that as Gentiles we are in union by our union with Christ. But what was the lack of confidence that prevented the boldness and the access that Paul wrote here? Paul's already told us in Ephesians 2, 3, part of our memory verse, that our problem is that we were by nature children of wrath. As the mystery is revealed, we see that there is a solution already, not something that man came up with, but God, by his great plan, gave the solution to the problem. In verses 16 through 19, we see this. We see that God has reconciled both Jews and Gentiles into one body, the church. We see that this happens through the cross, which kills the hostility that put Paul in prison. That we have access now to the Father, and we are members of the household of God. You see, the mystery is instead of the wrath of God, we are now a part of God. And this was his eternal plan. The angels and the demons would have seen the manifold wisdom of God through his eternal plan as they look down and see this mystery play out. So Paul explains all this in verses 2 through 12 to finish his initial thought in verse 1. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner on Christ on your behalf, but he tells him here in verse 13, he says, So I asked that you not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul says, I'm just a steward of God's stewardship. I'm just a member of the family carrying out God's eternal plan, which is, by the way, for your glory, for your salvation. If Paul were to text this in a text message, he wouldn't say I'm in prison and have you know, a sad face and the jail bars and a black and white uniform on. Paul would have a big smiley face, one of those, you know, when you're really happy and you, you, know, you, put like, you line up all the emojis as big as you can, he's telling them, don't lose heart. I am just carrying out God's plan and it happens to be prison. Where else do we see God's plan carried out through suffering? 
You guys remember the story of Joseph, of how his brothers sold him into slavery, he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he was put in prison, but at the end of that story, what does God do? God turns all that suffering for good. It was his plan all along. One more reference to Acts in Acts 2.23, this mystery, this death of Jesus on our behalf, as Peter's preaching his first sermon during Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he reminds the believers there that day that God knew what would happen and that his prearranged plan would be carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of you Gentiles, you helped me follow through with my plan. You nailed him to the cross and you killed him. God has a plan and it is no longer a mystery Mystery was concealed, but now it's revealed. So what do we do with this today? For me, the easiest application is the suffering. Are you going through something tough right now? Are you facing a sickness, a, a death of a pet or a family member, a close friend? Maybe your job just sucks right now. Maybe your kids aren't behaving the way you think they should right now. Well, how can you, like Paul, bring glory to God through your suffering? Church, do you believe that God's purpose can be fulfilled through suffering? Second thing, I hope that you didn't miss the church in all of this. God's focus was on the church. Through the church, his wisdom would be known. Through the new body of Christ that is intertwined the world, we join together by common likes or social commonalities like a country club. But God has taken enemies, Jews and Gentiles, and put them together as one. Think about that the next time a brother or sister of Christ annoys you. God calls us in unity to be ministers of the mystery. To love each other as he has demonstrated and loved us. Finally, and most importantly, we see Christ at the center of God's plan. In Colossians, Paul reminds the people in Colossae of the mystery of Christ. And he says, here's the mystery in verse 127. The mystery is that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Paul reminds us that nothing in ourselves, nothing in us will ever give us the wisdom to be satisfied. But we are to live a life Powered by the Spirit within us. And God's will will be done. And his plan will be fulfilled. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for revealing this mystery to the Apostle Paul and the apostles and the prophets. Thank you, Lord, how this mystery of the church becoming one, Jews and Gentiles together, has been passed on thousands of years later and has made its way to us. Lord, I thank you for those here that their heart has been pierced. They've seen their sin against you and they've trusted in Jesus as their Savior. We've been reconciled to this family. We are heirs. We are members of the body. We are partakers of the promise. Lord, would you help us to focus on your plan to set our ideas, our bad agendas, our bad motives to the side, which help us to trust in your plan as Paul demonstrated us here in uh, Ephesians. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.